Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Yo, I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Do your homework before you talk to a vet. And with us today is a Kansas City icon, a legend named Carl DiCapo. You'll get to know him well today. Carl, thank you so much for getting comfortable with Mark Alford. Anything you want, you know. <laughs> How far do we go back? I've been here 20 years. Oh, absolutely. I, I think I met you at Rotary 13, right. right? Yeah, yeah, really. You know, and then you sold me that coat. I still talk You about still it. have that coat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can't wear it I out. Made, Carl said, I want a car coat. And I right. said, what are you talking about? This is before. Now the coat's uh, like an overcoat is about knee length or a little right. bit shorter. Uh, but back then, they went down to your ankles, right. basically, like a trench coat or a top coat, and Carl said, I want a car coat. And I said, what's a car coat? And you made this coat between a car coat and a heavy coat. Yeah. So basically, I can wear this all the time. There you, you know? go. And it's just a perfect <laughs> coat. And really, and everybody looks at it and understands, where'd you get it? I said, you don't want to know. <laughs> what? You don't tell them? I need the business, Carl. <laughs> really? No. I uh, appreciate that. Um, you've been a great friend over the years. You were one of the first persons I met at Rotary 13. There are so many people, great role models and icons of Kansas City that came out of Rotary 13. We talked about Jim Schultz today on did, Red uh, Friday, uh, and I wore Tony DePardo's red blazer right. uh, today. Where did you grow up? Northeast. Part of Kansas City. Northeast. Northeast yeah. High School. I lived on Lawn, 119 North Lawn. I was born there November the 7th, 1927 wow. at 7 o'clock in the morning, upstairs in the second floor, because that's when we were in a depression at that point in time. And it was just basically, it was tough, really. What was it like back then? Because I always thought I would love to go back to Kansas City in its heyday. Um, I know there was negative things, segregation and, and things like that, stuff we definitely don't want to go back to. But I would love to have seen Kansas City uh, in its prime. And I think we have a lot of good times ahead. Don't get me wrong. But back then when it was hustling, bustling, and it was a place that people wanted to come and there was a lot happening. You know, the Northeast area was basically, it was probably the second best neighborhood in Kansas City. Southwest, we'd have these fights between Southwest with their football team and my football mm -hmm. team, Northeast. But we had a great area there. You know, Ma the mainly Italian, Long, right? Ari Long and everybody on Gladstone Boulevard. Oh, yeah. And we had Benton Boulevard. We had the great boulevards there. We had Cliff Drive that... Uh, Still beautiful. Oh, yes. And the gentleman that designed it and such, he cut side of a mountain, he says, to make that trail along mm. there. It's just great. Uh, that they have a beautiful fountain there, 
and they call it the Carl J. DiCapo Fountain. I they didn't know that. that fountain after me. Huh. Really. And I, that's, you know. How many things do you have named after you here in Kansas City? Well, we City? got that. We got the street, uh, Main Street, uh-huh. uh, from Pershing Road to 27th. That's Carl J. DiCapo. Uh, that's just those two. I had a golf tournament we just had Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did well, and we did that for Arts Tech. Uh, oh, I, with Dave I, out at Arts Tech? Yeah, Dave. Great guy. Well, what happened there, Car- uh, our mayor, Charlie Wheeler, in 1975 calls me and says, I want you to be head of the Bicentennial for Kansas City, representing Kansas City in the United States. Really? So well, how are we doing this? He says, well, pick something out. Well, I'd heard a little bit about someone had did an ethnic group. So I said, we can do that. So we picked se- uh, 12 different ethnic groups. And we had that, and it was a marvelous thing because what we would do, we'd go to the schools and we'd tell the kids, look at us. We look different. We have different coloring. Mm -hmm. We eat different foods. We wear different clothes, but we're all the same person. Mm. I would bring three uh, three gallons of Spumoni and give it to everyone. (laughs) We had the largest parade in the history of Kansas City then, it was 27 blocks long before we got all the way down to A Street before the last one left, mm. the Liberty Memorial. And what was it prayed for? It was for the um, Bicentennial. Bicentennial. And guess what happened? Here what? we got this this senator from, from Virginia, John Warner. He was married yeah, to Elizabeth right. Taylor. He comes in and he presents us with this plaque stating it was one of the top in the United States, the way we did it and such. He was thrilled. Charlie Wheeler was thrilled. Well, when I was head of the Liberty Memorial in there, and they said, we have this old senator coming back. So here comes John Warner. Hmm. So he walks in the door, and he says, I said, Senator, you look great. Thank (laughs) you. I said, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much, so much. I said, because we've been friends for years. He couldn't understand who I was and where I was coming yeah. from. So he says, do I know you? I said, you've forgotten me? <laughs> so what happened? I said, do you remember coming here for the bicentennial? He said, you're not that little Italian guy from the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you've been part of so many fundraisers, and you're still raising money for Catholic no. charities, right? right That's right your now. big one right now. We're right. going to talk about that in a little bit, but you brought up the restaurant. In case you didn't know it, one of the best restaurants ever in Kansas City was Italian Gardens. Uh, my wife uh, dragged me there. Didn't have to drag me there. We went there. Uh, it was down at 13th and... Oh. 11 10 Baltimore. 11 and 10 Baltimore. I'm sorry. The Kansas City Club was at 13th, right? right. right. So anyway... Uh, my father-in-law used to eat there all the time. Everyone. The best toasted ravioli no. in uh, the ask world. Ask Anita Gorman. Ask Anita, Anita Gorman. Gorman. Yeah. She, she begged. She said, why can't we have those back? Uh, why? You know? How did that restaurant get started? Uh, it was two, two. It was an uncle and a nephew that started it. Johnny Bondin was a gentleman by the name, and he was a, a gentleman that he was an athlete. Mm. A Kansas City athlete. Everybody knew him as such. That's how he. Now got is that to... John and Ralph's dad? No, it was his uncle. Uncle, uncle. okay. And Frank LaPerry. 
the Lapere Foods? Yeah. Or? No, just Lapere and his family was only two brothers. Gotcha. But anyway, they started it, and they were. Frank Lapere had a bookstore at Paseo High School, and someone came in and offered him fifteen hundred dollars for the book for the uh, store, and he wow. sold it to him. So he told his wife, who was Uncle Johnny's niece, he let's go ahead to have dinner at your uncle's tonight. So he went down there to, to have dinner with him, and he looked at it, and he said, man, it's a great place. And Uncle Johnny said, yeah, but it's too much for me. So he said, would you sell me half of the place? Hmm. He said, you got $1,500? Well, he knew he had just sold the hmm. place. So he said, yeah, I do. Okay. He said, you're my partner. From there, that was on... Uh, what year was that? That was 1925 okay. at 13th and Walnut on the second floor. Okay? Okay. They were there for a short time, and then they moved down to almost 16th and Grand on the east side of the street. Uh-huh. And they got everybody from the Kansas City Star, Landon, Laird, all the people... All the people that you know and you heard about right. and all read, they all came and ate, but they never did any night business. So a gentleman by the name of Saul Prusan had this this restaurant at 1110 Baltimore, and he's going into the uh, orange juice business, so he wanted $1,500 for it. Well, we didn't have $1,500, but one of our waitresses said, you two are the best restaurant operators I've ever worked for. I've got $1,500 for my mm. retirement. I'll lend you the money. They said, we'll make you a third partner. I don't want to be a partner. All I want you to do is lend me the money. Mm. That was in 1933. Now, they used the dishes that they had there. Some of them were cracked and all. Mm-hmm. They couldn't afford to buy any new ones. They had one pair of shoes that the person that was walking up working in the front of the restaurant, got to wear the shoes. The nice shoes. <laughs> yeah, because they had no money, okay? Kept the lights low. <laughs> Kept the lights low. It was an instant hit. 1936, three years later, my uncle Johnny Bonden went on a world cruise to Europe with the lieutenant governor of Missouri. From then on, it just went. Hmm. During the war... They had to change the name to the gardens because they mm. had to get the Italian off. Right, of we were against them in the war. Right, yeah. so absolutely. So what basically with me? Now, I was going to. I went down to junior college here in 1944. Was here for a year, and went down to MU. And I went down there. We had 3,000 students at MU at the time. 600 of them were men. My people that I went with, Crosby Kemper, Jim Nutter, Frank Sabry, Bill Riley, and Carl DiCapo. Wow. I knew all Big of names. Them. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was mm. us. They're all dead except myself. Mm. But any time, any time I ever wanted anything, all I had to do was go, you know. They loved me. It was wow. just a great thing. So we were there. I'm going to med school. I got a major in zoology, major in chemistry, minor in... You were going to be a doctor? Oh, yeah. I was going to med school. And what... All of us were under 18 years of age. We all graduated in six, when we were 16. So I'm getting ready to get drafted. They told me I was going to get drafted, but I was already accepted in a med school. But I Which didn't, was an exception, right, yeah, for the draft? Yeah. 
But anyway, I waited and waited and waited. In the meantime, here we got the internal revenue. They moved it from Brooklyn, New York, because they were afraid the Nazis were going to bomb New York. So they moved it here. They moved the IRS here? Here. I didn't and know that. And they put, Harry Truman put his brother Vivian in charge of it. Huh. So where do you think it's coming? San City. So I'm out there. I go out there to, and applied for a job while I'm waiting, and I'm telling them I'm waiting. They needed help. All they had was women. They had no men, you know. Mm-hmm. So here I am. So I go out there. The next thing you know, I never got drafted. And I'm there. And the next, they named, they honored me. What we had was 1,500 people. 750 black and 750 white. So they made me chairman of the committee of the thing, over 1,500 people. And I said, sure, I'll do that. We're going to have a big party out at Swope Park. I bought about 300 pounds of of barbecue ribs and Uh brisket. I bought all the beer you could drink, and I put the blacks and the whites together. And they said, you can't do that. Watch. This is long before integration. Long before. And you did it. 1952. And how did it turn out? Excellent. Everybody had a great time. So they said, let's do something else. So here comes this girl from Russell Stover's. And she said, would you like to buy candy for your people for Christmas? Love to. How much does it cost? Well, it all depends on how much you buy. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so I will send this thing around, and I said, for one pound box of candy, it's not going to cost you much of anything. So she comes back, and she says, how many do you want? I said, 4,000. What? 4,000. She says, that's almost giving it away. So we did that down there. Well, then my brother-in-law, Ralph, called me. He's down there. He's a, a general manager of the Italian gardens mm-hmm. under his two uncles. And he says, I'm in trouble, Carl. What's the matter? He says, I got the NAIA, NAIA tournament tonight here, and I don't have a cashier. Uncle hmm. Frank went to uh, Mexico, Mexico, and his brother Steve quit. So I said, I'll come down because I worked for my father. I started working downtown in 1933 when I was six years old. Doing what? My dad had the best shoe, sh- best shoe shop in the United States, and I'll tell you about that. So what happens? I go down there, and I love, love the business. The next thing you know, I'm there. But let's go back to 1933, when you had no shoes, when you had girls in my class that their mothers made dresses for them out of flower seeds. Yeah, I rem- yeah, I remember my grandmother doing that. I still have some of her quilts that were made out of that, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they had nothing. You ought to see the soup lines that they had every night for people to come out. Mm-hmm. The men would leave their families because they couldn't feed them, and they'd get on a train and leave and had nothing and leave their families there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my dad asked me if I'd come down during the summer at six years old, and I got on the bus, a streetcar. Six years of age. Six years of age. I went down there, and they would call my dad, and I would run over and get their shoes while they continued typing barefooted. I'd run over, get the shoes, get a pair of heels on for a dime, okay? 
So yeah. reheal their shoes, basically. Or a dime. Mm-hmm. Okay? I did that all summer, and then on Saturdays I did that. I got a dollar a week. That was my salary. And I went down to Columbia National Bank and started my my account. Really? Okay? Yeah. But I found out one thing. Well, I couldn't <laughs> walk the, the, the streets in the afternoon. I mean, at lunchtime, there's no way. Why? It's the second busiest street in oh. the United States here, downtown. So I used to run the alleys, run the alleys. Uh, all the Aylwards would come in, and they'd, they'd leave a pair of shoes there, and mm-hmm. they we'd clean them, have them all shine. The next morning, they'd come in and change shoes. Uh, Bill Dunn's father was on the fifth floor of the Reliance building. He'd come over. The Crow brothers' father and his twin brother and his father were right across the street, and I knew them. I'd go down there, and I knew the... Uh, Crosby's father. Oh, really? Wow. I got to. I knew everybody from in, their shoes. From their shoes, I knew everybody <laughs> down. Harry Truman would come in and get a get a shoe shine, and wow. I'd go over and talk to him and explain to him. You know, it's amazing. Hmm. So, how do you go from shoes to what's the next step in your life? I want to tell you one story before All right. I do. One story. Okay. My dad loved canaries. He loved canaries. He would put me on his shoulder when we'd come back from Mass, and we'd walk down to the Cliff Drive. And when we got down to Cliff Drive, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, we go down to Cliff Drive, and what happens? He liked, he looked for all the canaries flying. He'd tell me about the cardinals and all the different things and such. So he had canaries in the shoe shop, and when he turned the motors on to fix the shoes, all the canaries would start singing. This little lady comes in, and she's got, they used to have not paper sacks, but they had cloth sacks that they carried. Mm -hmm. And she had this cloth sack, and she comes in and she says, my father, she says, Mr. DiCapo, yes, would you sell me a pair of canaries? Well, sure, yes. You want canaries? Yes. She says, a male and a female? Yes. We had these little boxes. They were about this size, small boxes. Only holes one, and we had a, a, a partition across, mm-hmm. so it couldn't fly and it couldn't hurt itself. We put a male in one and a female in the other. So I go over, you know me. I go over and I say, "Ma'am, you're going to start raising canaries." She says, "No, no." She says, "This is for my son. My son's in jail, and he wants these canaries." Mm-hmm. His her son was Robert Stroud, the Birdman of Alcatraz, and. He became the foremost authority on birds in the world. Wow. Okay. From your family's canaries. And it's all my family's canaries. Now, if you want to see something, you go out to the aviary out here at the Kansas City Zoo, and you'll see a sign that says, The Birds of this Honorary in Honor of Jack DeCapo by his family and friends. Wow. That was my daddy. Right. That's what a great legacy. Right. And, you know, you saw everybody downtown and the people... Joan Crawford's mother lived over on 9th Street. But you saw, you went everybody mm. down there. You know, the things that you would see, the difference. Well, it must be exciting now to see this resurgence happening with the Power and Light District. I know we've had a lot of issues, but with the, the two light, the one light, and the three light coming, that there's more energy down downtown now. I had one of the best restaurants in Kansas City down there. We had it set, we seated 406 people. 
We made more money down there than you could ever believe during our heyday. Then it got to a point where we only had, well, we had 6,000 people living in the greater area mm -hmm. there. We, at, at times at night, I would stand at the front door, and we were on Baltimore, the, right. great, the great street, and not see a car for 20 minutes mm. drive down. Well, now down. you do one hell of a business down Now there. you don't even want to go down Main right. Street anymore. You can't get Now uh, the, the building's now a parking garage, right? Oh, yeah. And we had all flat service there. Yeah. They tore down Barnes Roll Mine with all right parking, tore down all the, the buildings so he could put it mm. in the parking lot. Why didn't somebody reopen a, a new Italian gardens? You know, it's the most marvelous. Everybody wants to open up a restaurant. They think that they can make it. It's the largest doomed business there is. Why? And the more because the fact that you have to be there day and night. Uh, we just discussed this today. I would leave house at 4.30 in the morning and luckily get home by 3.00. When I would, Buddy Rich would call me at 10 o'clock and say, Carl, I'm on my way. Buddy, don't do this to me. Carl, he'd bring 20-some people with him. The drummer, I, Buddy Rich? Oh, yeah. I, I knew them all. Huh. Everybody, that they all came in. Frank Sinatra ate there? I closed at, at midnight on a Saturday night. And when we closed at midnight, we would clean the restaurant that you could eat off the floor. So when you walked in the morning, it was perfect. Mm -hmm. So we didn't leave until 1.15. So I walked up 12th Street, I mean up to 12th Street and went up, was walking up 12th Street. Well, the doorman at the Muehlbach, I know it was a Greek fella. So I stopped to talk to him. He said, you busy tonight, Carl? I said, we were jammed. I said, all night long. He said, just jammed. He said, really, that's great. What else? Well, I saw someone standing against, leaning against the wall with his hat down mm -hmm. and a cigarette and one of his legs up against the wall. And he's there. So I said, that's one of yours? He said, that's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> really? So I went over and I said, Mr. Sinatra, I said, my name is Carl DeCapo and I just want to come over and thank you for being in our city. Well, thank you. He said, what do you do? I said, I own a little little Italian restaurant. He said, not the Italian garden. Yeah. He said, damn, everybody I told that I was coming to Kansas City, they said, make certain that you go to the garden. Make certain. <laughs> Every time he came after that, yeah. we fed him. I bet. We sent down. and He, he had a, his own booth, though, didn't he? I remember that. Didn't he have his booth? And you, you had some pictures there later, right? <laughs> that, that was Evil Knievel. Oh, <laughs> That's another one. Uh, Evil Knievel used to eat there. Oh, yeah. Oh, all uh, of them eat there. We closed the restaurant one night on 9 o'clock, and we had everyone from the Red Sox in there except Mr. Yaki and Ted Williams. Wow. That's the only two we missed. We had all the mm. others there. I mean, you can't believe mm. what a great time. And these people were just like you and me. We sat there one night till three in the morning with five of the greatest coaches, basketball, Jimmy V was there. The guy from UNLV was there. The guy from Maryland was there. The black man from New York was there. And they stayed with me till three in the morning. Well, we had another fellow, a friend of ours, a black kid that used to come in and eat. 
So he stayed in there, and he says, you know, I got a, a, a basketball in my car. You think these guys signed it? I said, go get it. So I went, and I said, Jim, have the guys sign it. They all signed it. Well, the next day, he worked for Russell Stover's, and when he went there and he put the basketball, well, Tom Ward came by and says, what is that? And he said, look, I got everybody's name. These are not their names. What? He said, we just had them until 3 this morning. He said, you're lying to me. He said, go call Carl DeCampo. <laughs> he said, tell him. So they wanted that basketball, you know. I but see. you see, uh, Lisa Minnelli, she came in. Liza Minnelli? Liza Minnelli. Yeah. She came in and spent two days with us. Uh, who else? All everybody. Mm. Uh, Gina Lola Bridget. Oh yeah, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. You know, she was there. All the people that w were they brought in from Eddie's. Yeah, they would not eat at Eddie's. They come over. Eddie's was the nightclub, the night spot where all the acts everybody. Were. Yeah. Uh, Bill, uh, Bob Hope was there. Mm. Uh, Nelson Eddy was there. Wow. They brought everybody in. They all came to our place. Mm. All right. So you guys closed what year? Well, I left. I left in nineteen December the the thirty first, nineteen ninety eight. Okay, that was they, right after I got here. But I remember coming in and you were at the door sometimes. That was and it. That was Mrs. It. B. Barbilia. Well, that was your sister, right, My Mrs. Sister. B. Yeah. Sweet, sweet lady. Yes. And then, uh, and so then what, when did they get bought out and closed? No. Or not bought out, but when did they close the restaurant? They couldn't operate when I left. Yeah. You know, they told me it was time for me to leave. Mm. What had happened, I was the largest stockholder from not being a relation, but I was the largest stockholder then because I started working. When they needed something, I was there. And I had great people. I had... Vince DiCapo, Mike DiCapo, Virginia DiCapo, and my sister and me. Mm -hmm. Well, when we put that restaurant out on 106th and Metcalf, because I saw downtown going down, going right. down. I tried to get to the plaza, and I went over and, and at the time and talked to them, and they were saying, Carl, wait, Carl, wait. I waited two years, and I finally said, we got to go. So we went out to 106th and Metcalf. My cousin Vince lived out in Bridalsburg, right around the corner from them. So he says, I'll take this one, and you, I don't have to come downtown here every day and night. Fine. So that's how we did. Three weeks after we opened, he gets a malignant tumor and dies. Mm. So yeah, they couldn't operate out there. So after you left the restaurant business, you've been so involved in all these years in fundraising. Tell me all the different organizations and causes that you've raised money for. This might take a while, folks. We started while I left there. I had nowhere to go. So I went back and started going back to Rotary. Right. So I go to Rotary, and they, Jerry Moeller was going to be the new president. So he came to me, and he says, Carl, would you take the program? I said, sure. I got nothing to do. Then he comes back the next day and he says, they've already picked someone. Would you take membership? And I said, well, yeah, sure, I'll do that. He said, well, I want to tell you something before you take it. Every year we go, we sign 40 new members, but we lose 60 and we're going mm. downhill. Because people are getting older, not as many people joining clubs. Right, okay. And, and Rotary 13 was the 13th 
Rotary Club started, I think the first one started in Chicago, right? Right. And then, and it, at one time, everyone who was anyone was in Rotary 13. There had more than 600 members at one point, right? Well, what had happened when we were there, we had 500 when they Mm -hmm. told me, okay? So I said, sure, I can do that. He says, well, I want to tell you. I said, you got any money for for, uh, membership drives? He said, we got $2,500. I said, fine, that's good. Okay. I said, now I'll tell you something. I said, you say you only sign 40. Okay. I'll sign 100 in three months. What? I said, Mm -hmm. I'll sign 100 in three months. He said, you're not. I said, I'll give you my word. Okay. So what happens? How many did you sign up? Well, they go and tell the people that, mm-hmm. you know, when you join, they tell you the difference of the history of it and all. Right. And they said, he can't do it. He can't. We got 500 and we can't sign 40. That's it. Three months later, I had signed 108. <laughs> so how do, how do you do that? Because you were the king of convincing people, you know, in a great way that they feel good about making a decision. I'm, I stood in that front of that door for 46 years. I knew I had a guy walk in. He, used to, he ate there for us for a week and never saw him for five years. My Uncle Frank and I were standing there one night, and here he comes in. I said, Olson, how are you? He said, you can't remember me. I do it by association. Oh, names by yeah, association. all by association. Huh. Anyway, with this, like this, with this. We did that. Well, all of a sudden, they want me to be president. You know, you know, guys that have been there for years. In fact, the fellow that they ran me against, they said, we know you don't want to be president. No. And he said, we're going to put you against this guy. He had mm-hmm. just got it, but then he had to go out of town, so now he's back. So we want to make certain he's back again. Sure. I beat him. Mm. You know, and there I am. I beat him. So how? And the same thing. When I was park... You were on the Parks Commission. Well, yeah. Kansas City. No. What had happened Mm -hmm. when we did this, like I tell you, we did the ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. We had a festival and everybody thought it was great. So afterwards, we said, we don't want this to die because these 12 people are great and we can do it. So we did one, and here comes the new mayor, Berkeley, and he says, Carl, what are you doing? I said, well, I told him about it and all, and he says, I'll make you a commission. So he made us a commission. When we had the commission, then we had a little thing up at Liberty Memorial, and it went great. The next year, we went down on Pershing Square there, right there at Pershing, and Mm -hmm. we did fantastic. We did that for two years, and then Don Hall says, would you move because I want to put $300 in this. I want to put a, a sprinkler seminole. Would you move someone? We said, sure. Move you to Swope Park. Well, that's when they were having all the problem out there. We didn't draw flies. Hmm. So, Are you it, talking about the, the festival that you had put in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the ethnic festival. Ethnic Enrichment Festival, right. which is now is known yeah. as huge. So, yeah. So what happens? We go, to, we go out there. Nobody. We go there the second year, and I said, we can't do this. They said, well, try it one more year. Okay. So then we all dressed up the third year, and we went before them and said, look, 
We'll go anywhere you want us to go, but we're not going back to Swope Park. We're not going to Swope Park. We can't do this. Perry Cookingham was the chairman. So he and I knew each other. We'd been in committees together. So he calls me and he says, you're going back to Swope Park. He says, you go where we tell you to go, not where you want to go. <laughs> I said, Perry Cookingham, you're a nice person, but don't you ever speak to me again like that. So I went to Berkeley and I said, I can't do this no more. I said, we'll either go into Kansas or something, but, or put us under somebody else except the park department. He says, darn, Carl. He said, I'm getting nothing but problems. Here's what I want you to do. Just wait a couple of weeks and let me see what I can do. Okay. He calls me. He said, would you come out here tonight? Sandy and I want to talk to you. And he said, I just fired Perry Cookingham, and you're going on the board. <laughs> I said, I don't want to go on the board. I just went on the board of the uh, F, I mean, desegregation monitoring committee. I'm on, I can't do this. Carl, take it. Mm. Okay, so we took it. We went out there and cleaned the house. Mm. Cleaned and the now house. look at it. You had, Huge you had festival. Holly and Anita, mm -hmm. and we did anything. In fact, they were talking about the other day, how did you get this done? Well, think about this. Anita Gorman, the great lady of the North, is in everything that you want to be. Ollie Gates is one of the top men in the city, as far as that. And I knew the rest. We got everything done. We built, we got $50 million for the new zoo, right? Right. We did the plaza. They were going to, uh, the Corps of Engineers was going to put a big ditch, not mm -hmm. on your life. We had that done. We did. We had a front foot, to foot tax of ten cents a foot if you lived on a boulevard. We raised it to a dollar. They said you can't do that. Sure, we can. Mm. They also we took the city sticker off of your car so that we could build uh, community centers. We did that. How much money did you raise for the Liberty Memorial to get that the museum and all? Well, then I'm on the board. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when I'm on the board, we had 400000 the city gave every year. What happened at, the, at there is the deck got to be an eighth of an inch, okay? We were afraid that people were going to fall 40, 50 feet to their death because it was hollow down there. Hmm. So we put a big fence around it, and we tried to get monies. We couldn't get monies. Uh, we hired two of the great fundraisers of New York City and brought them here. They couldn't do it. We had one here. They couldn't do it. So uh, Cleaver was mayor. So he, John, uh, John Moore, John, who was head of the, uh, went to him and said, would you put it on the ballot? And he says, you raise $5 million and I'll put it on the ballot. But I don't think anybody cares because you've had the Second World War, you've had the, the Korean War, you had the uh, Vietnam. Yeah. And he says, I don't think anybody cares about it because we can't raise any money. Okay. So they said, okay, if you can raise that. So they told me, they said, we, why don't you take governance? Anita will take the wealthy people. Jerry Cohn will sell bricks. We'll see if we can do this. Okay, so I knew that we couldn't get any federal money. We'd already been to them. I knew we couldn't get any city money. We couldn't get any county money. The only place they hadn't gone was the state. 
So I had a friend down there by the name of uh, Ronnie DePasco, who was the senator from my district. So I called Ronnie and I said, Ronnie, this is Carl. Yeah, Carl, how are you? Fine, how are you doing? Good. So what's going on? I said, I need $5 million so we can <laughs> fix Liberty Memorial. Carl, we don't have any money. What? Carl, they don't have anything. We, we've looked all over. We don't have anything. I said, what about the poor veteran? Did he say you said veteran? Yes. Veteran? Yes. He said, I'm chairman of the Veterans Committee. They got $93 million. I said, where'd they get the money? He said, every time you go on a gambling boat, it's $2. That money is split between early childhood, the Missouri Highway Patrol, and the veteran. Hmm. I said, when do they meet? He said, you're fortunate. Once a year, two weeks from tonight, right here. I said, put me on the agenda. He says, you're on the agenda. I got you here. Wow. So I brought Anita, I brought uh, Ollie Gates and, and Mark McHenry and John Owens and myself. So we go down there. And there, here you are. You got all the senators and representatives there. And you got 150 veterans. And they've got their hats on and all. So Ollie gets up and thanks the, the, uh, the members not members, the sen uh, senators and representatives mm -hmm. for allowing us to come. John Owen shows a seven-minute clip on that. Right? And I get up and say, ladies and gentlemen, let's cut to the chase. I know you got $93 million. <laughs> we need to repair the Liberty Memorial, the great Liberty Memorial. And they said, Mr. Capo, thank you so much, but that money is earmarked for nursing homes and cemeteries. I said, I don't want all your money. All I want is $5 million of it. And the mayor has said he would put it on the ballot. We're, we can't give it to you. I said, may I say something before, I, before we leave? Yeah. I said, you know, I see you. I see you veterans. I see you holding on to that chain link fence, crying your eyes out. We took your home. Yes. We took your lives. Yes. We took your wives, we took your boys, we took your jobs, but you really don't care about that, do you? You want nursing homes and cemeteries. Well, let me tell you something. We're gonna build the finest home for veterans in the United States, right where it belongs, at the Liberty Memorial, with you or without you. They gave me $5 million that night. Wow. Four months later, I go back. They gave me another $10 million to put the, the museum down below. Wow, and it is a masterpiece, wonderful museum. When I got that, I went to Cleaver, and I, he says, you get the $5 million? No, Don Hall gave me two, $3 million. Uh, Crosby gave me $2 million. Uh, Jeanette Nichols gave me a million. Everybody's giving me money. I had $13 million, wow. and I told them. I said, look, here you are. I got $13 million. Okay. The day of the, of the election? And he tells me. He says, Carl, I said, I got to get 50% of the vote? No, you got to get 60% of the vote. That's the only way it'll go. Day, the day of the election, every polling place, um, you had veterans there with the American flag. Mm. We got 64% of the vote. Wow. And then from then, we raised 107 million dollars. Jeez, unreal. A master uh, money raiser for a good causes fundraiser. 
And last, I want to wrap up talking about the uh, new statue that you have between City Hall and the federal building. It's called, what is it called again? It's the Native Sons. Native Sons. And it tells the stories about people who made Kansas City great and what it is. How did that all come about? Well, they made me president. Again, you know, they made me president. So I'm there president, and I said, every year, like this year, we're, Cliff Illig's going to be the man of the year. A great, great man that is he and, and Neil Patterson, mm-hmm. what they've done for this city. Cerner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happened? I said, where do we go to honor these people? We don't have no place. What do you mean you don't have any place? How do you honor them and not have a place? I said, let's build a monument. They said, we don't want to spend the money. I said, oh, I'll tell you what. I'll raise the money. That's the biggest mistake I should have made. Never say that. I'll raise the money if you'll do that. Sure. Okay. So for four years, we, I said, I thought we could do it for $50,000, and we'd put it up at Liberty Memorial. Mm-hmm. We'd go there first. They don't want any more monuments there. Okay? So we're there. We go out on 83rd Street and State Line at the home there, the major's home. Mm-hmm. They have a whole block. We said, okay, yeah. Then they said, we're going to redo that. Carl, you got to move. Okay. Then where do you go? Well, I sat there and uh, uh, Dave Disney, he said, Carl, why don't you go to 43rd Street? You know, like where the covered wagon is. Right. Westport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why don't you? He said, that's land. Nobody can use mm-hmm. it. So we go there, and they said, yeah, take it, do it. We were there two years. We went in and spent all the money that you need, find out if there was a gasoline station there or if mm-hmm. you needed the dirt was Environmental okay. impact studies. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Got it all done. Catherine Shields says, no, you can't do that. So I go to the city manager. I said, come on, Troy. I said, you know, I feel like Moses. I've been all over <laughs> the city. And I can't find a place to land. No promised land for no you. No promised land for me. He said, where do you want it? I said, right here. You can't put it in City Hall. I said, look at that park we got right out here. Nobody uses it. The Isles Davis It's a beautiful park. He called, yeah. gets on the phone and calls Mark McHenry. And he says, Carl's here with the Native Sons, and they want to put the monument there. So Mark said, maybe we can. No. So we looked around. No, we did that. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they said, Okay. You can do it. So we got all the plans and all, $500. It was going to cost, oh, fi- yeah, 50000 we thought. It ends up costing $550,000. Half a million dollars? Half a million dollars. I raised $400,000 in seven days. Wow. Because the people of Kansas City wanted to be part of that. Who are honored there? Some of the names. All the big guys that you can remember. You got Mr. K, Mm -hmm. you got Don Hall, you got, I mean, all the Hall family, you got uh, uh, all, everybody that you can think of, uh, uh, Mm. Plaza, uh, yeah, well, K. Callison's grandfather was there. Mm. J.C. Nichols. J.C. Nichols, all that, all those. What is it you love about Kansas City? I love the greatest place in the world that you can live, (laughs) right here, right here. Who, a, 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 an immigrant son that's four foot eleven, weighed eighty four pounds, graduates from Northeast High School, the smartest, kid, the smallest kid in your class, smallest, okay, and they got nothing behind my name except I was student manager of the football team, okay, 
I defy you when you don't know what God's got in store for you. Really. Well, Carl, thank you so much. You've been a great influence on my life and who I am today, and I'm honored to call you a friend. (laughs) I'm honored to call you a friend. And in Italian, we say sabenediga, which means... May God be with you. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Yo, I'm comfortable talking to Mark Alford. He don't make me feel like I gotta kneel at a dark altar. His colleagues are cool, things are jolly and smooth. Anything else, it'll be part stupid and part awkward. Do your homework before you talk to a vet. That way you won't get no static coming from tech. I'm on my own planet. I'm in my zone, damn it. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.